The House and Senate will both come back Monday and stay in session through Thursday. Last week, the House came back on Monday and passed two bills under suspension of the rules. On Tuesday, the House passed the rule governing floor consideration of H.R. 4664. That's the Financial Services and General Government Appropriations Act for fiscal year 24. Then the House began considering amendments to H.R. 4820. That's the Transportation, Housing, and Urban Development and Related Agencies Appropriations Act for FY24. They considered five amendments and agreed to one of them. Then the House took up a motion to table HRES 845, censuring Representative Rashida Tlaib for promoting false narratives regarding the October 7, 2023 Hamas attack on Israel and calling for the destruction of the State of Israel. The motion to table was defeated by a vote of 208 to 213. Then the House went back to the T-HUD Appropriations Bill and considered another 13 amendments, of which the House agreed to one. Then the House Republican leadership pulled the bill and announced that further proceedings on the bill would be postponed. Then the House went back to HRES 845, censuring Representative Rashida Tlaib, and this resolution passed by a vote of 234 to 188, with 22 Democrats crossing over to join almost all Republicans in voting to censure Congresswoman Tlaib for her comments. On Wednesday, the House moved on to HRES 4664, the Financial Services and General Government Appropriations Act for FY24. Over the course of Wednesday and Thursday, the House considered 20 amendments, of which it agreed to five. Then, the House GOP pulled the bill and announced that further proceedings on the bill would be postponed, and then they were done. This week in the House, the House will come back on Monday with the first vote set for 6.30 p.m. At that time, the House is scheduled to consider nine bills under suspension of the rules. On Tuesday, the House is scheduled to consider Speaker Johnson's so-called laddered continuing resolution, about which we will speak more in a moment. On Monday or Tuesday, the House may take up a resolution to impeach Department of Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas. And the House may take up some of the remaining appropriations bills for FY24. H.R. 5893, the Commerce, Justice, Science, and Related Agencies Appropriations Act for FY24, and H.R. 4820, the Transportation, Housing, and Urban Development and Related Agencies Appropriations Act for FY24. In addition, the House may take up H.R. 5961, the No Funds for Iranian Terrorism Act, sponsored by House Foreign Affairs Chairman Michael McCall. That's a bill that would freeze the recently unfrozen Iranian funds that were part of the 2023 hostage deal between the United States and Iran. Last week in the Senate, the Senate came back on Monday and voted to invoke cloture on the nomination of Monica M. Bertignoli to be director of the National Institutes of Health. On Tuesday, the Senate voted to confirm her to that position. Then the Senate voted to invoke cloture on and then to confirm the nominations of Kenley Kia Cato to be U.S. District Judge for the Central District of California and Julia E. Kobig to be U.S. District Judge for the District of Massachusetts. Then the Senate voted to invoke cloture on the nomination of Ramon Ernesto Reyes, Jr. to be U.S. District Judge for the Eastern District of New York. On Wednesday, the Senate voted to confirm him to that position. Then the Senate voted to, in, to confirm and then 
uh, excuse me, then the Senate voted to invoke cloture on the nominations of Brandy R. McMillian to be a U.S. District Judge for the Eastern District of Michigan and uh, Ramirez Almanadi to be a U.S. District Judge for the Central District of California. Then the Senate took up and passed by a vote of 58 to, I'm sorry, 50 to 48, S.J. Res. 38, Florida Republican Senator Marco Rubio's Congressional Review Act Resolution of Disapproval of the rules submitted by the Federal Highway Administration relating to waiver of Buy America requirements for electric vehicle chargers. On Thursday, the Senate voted to confirm the nominations of Monica Ramirez Almadani to be U.S. District Judge for the Central District of California and Brandy R. McMillian to be U.S. District Judge for the Eastern District of Michigan. Then the Senate voted to invoke cloture on the nomination of Ana de Alba to be U.S. Circuit Judge for the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. And then they were done. This week in the Senate, the Senate will return Monday with the first vote set for 5.30 p.m. At that time, the Senate will proceed to a roll call vote to invoke cloture on the nomination of Ana de Alba to be U.S. Circuit Judge for the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. Then the Senate will vote to invoke cloture on the motion to proceed to H.R. 815, the Relieve Act, which will be the legislative vehicle for a continuing resolution, about which we will talk more in a moment. Now for the latest update on Alabama Senator Tommy Tuberville's hold on military promotions. When last we talked about Senator Tuberville and his one-man protest of the Pentagon's new abortion policy, he was still standing firm, holding up the promotions of hundreds of military officers in protest. On Tuesday of last week, the Senate Republican Conference held a special meeting just to discuss Senator Tuberville's protest to see if someone could figure a way out of the cul-de-sac. We don't know everything that was said inside that meeting, but we know what was said afterwards. It's clear that Senator Tuberville is open to a dignified exit, and it's also clear that Senate Republicans have not yet reached the point where they will steamroll him. Tuberville said he went into the meeting with one or two options, but came out with five or six. No consensus was reached inside the meeting, and Oklahoma Republican Senator Mark Wayne Mullen said Republicans are, quote, probably going to need to meet again. Iowa Republican Senator Joni Ernst, one of the five Republican senators who took to the floor the previous week to push against Tuberville's protest, called the discussion constructive. On Thursday, Virginia Democrat Senator Tim Kaine moved to challenge Alabama Republican Senator Tommy Tuberville's hold on hundreds of military promotions as a protest against the Defense Department's policy of paying for travel out of state for service members and dependents seeking abortions. Kaine read the names of 364 military officers on the promotions list and asked for unanimous consent that they be approved. Tuberville rejected all of them. I'm sorry, Tuberville objected to all of them. Now to the emergency supplemental. Last week, the House sent to the Senate its Israel-only aid package. The House is now waiting for the Senate to act. The Senate seems much more likely to come a lot closer to giving President Biden what he asked for, $106 billion in funding for Ukraine, Israel, Taiwan, and the border. But that's not to say the Senate is going to give President Biden exactly what he wants. Senate Republicans unveiled their initial ask to have significant asylum policy changes included in the legislation as the price for their votes. 
They don't want to simply throw more money at the current policies because they think it's the current policies that have caused the border crisis in the first place. And sending more money to support a bad policy will just make the problem worse. So on Monday, led by South Carolina Republican Lindsey Graham, Arkansas Republican Tom Cotton, and Oklahoma Republican James Lankford, Senate Republicans unveiled a list of immigration reforms that they're going to demand be attached to any supplemental spending package having to do with Ukraine. Included in their demands are the following. Resumption of construction on a border wall. Enhanced pay for border patrol officers. Asylum law reform a crackdown on the Biden administration's so-called humanitarian parole policy, an end to the Biden administration's policy of catch and release, and a denial of asylum to aliens that cross through safe third countries before coming to the U.S. The Heritage Foundation doesn't think much of the Republican Working Group and its efforts. In fact, Heritage released a two-page memo listing all the problems with the Working Group's approach. Suffice it to say, Heritage strongly supports the provisions of H.R. 2, the Secure the Border Act that already passed the House and which some other Senate Republicans want to see enacted into law. Meanwhile, on the other side of the Capitol, new Speaker Mike Johnson was giving an interview to the New York Post. The headline on the piece says it all, quote, Speaker Mike Johnson to NYC, dump sanctuary policies to get migrant money. Quote, the idea that you would maintain a sanctuary city status and then cry out to the federal government for assistance in what you've done is, to me, unconscionable, Johnson said. Johnson went further, lambasting the Biden administration's approach to the border. He called DHS Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas, quote, one of the worst cabinet secretaries in the history of the United States and said, quote, what he has done is just inexcusable because these are policy decisions, end quote. Now to the latest on government spending. A few moments ago, we were talking about what took place on the floor of the House last week, and I mentioned that the House GOP leadership had decided to pull from the floor the two appropriations bills it had been considering. That was bad news for Speaker Johnson's plan for government funding, because his whole strategy rests on passing as many of the 12 appropriations bills as he can to strengthen the House's hand in negotiations with the Senate. Quick review. As of this broadcast on Monday, November 13, we are four days away from a lapse in government funding. The current continuing resolution expires at midnight on Friday evening. So at 12.01 a.m. Saturday, if nothing is passed by both houses and signed into law before then, the federal government will begin a temporary partial government shutdown. None of the congressional leaders want this. All are working to avoid it. But they're going about it differently, and nobody can say for certain at this time that we know they will successfully avoid a government shutdown. The Senate has passed one minibus bill that contained three different appropriations bills. That leaves nine appropriations bills to pass. The House has passed seven of the 12 bills it needs to pass. It tried but failed to pass two more bills last week. On Saturday afternoon, Speaker Johnson revealed his plan to fund the government beyond the end of the current CR. He rolled out a two-step funding stopgap. This so-called laddered CR would have some funding run out on January 19, and the rest would run out on February 2. 
the idea is to avoid a negotiation over a one-step, one-stop, whole-of-government omnibus funding bill, and instead to encourage the House and Senate to run the process the way they're supposed to, by negotiating individually over each of the 12 spending bills needed to fund the entire government. In the first part of the bill, January 19, would be the funding extension for programs and agencies that are regularly funded by appropriations bills pertaining to agriculture, rural development and the FDA, energy and water development, military construction and veterans affairs, and transportation, transportation housing and urban development. The programs and agencies regularly funded by the other eight appropriations bills, including particularly defense spending, would be funded until February 2. It's a so-called clean CR. That is, it funds the government programs and agencies at the current funding levels, the same levels that were set by the previous Congress for fiscal year 2023. As you will recall, that funding level was set by the Democrat-dominated lame duck Congress in December of 2022. Speaker Johnson is proposing that the current Congress, which is now controlled by Republicans, should continue to spend money for another 75 days at the same level that was set by Nancy Pelosi. And that's after we've already been continuing the spending at those levels for the first 47 days of the new fiscal year. In other words, if Speaker Johnson's bill passes, as is, the Republican-controlled House of Representatives in 2024 would have voted for funding the government for the first 122 days of the new fiscal year at the same levels that were set by Nancy Pelosi. That's a third of the fiscal year. The bill does not include any of the emergency supplemental spending President Biden wanted for Ukraine, Israel, Taiwan, and the southern border. Not surprisingly, the Speaker's proposal is already generating opposition inside the House Republican Conference. Texas Republican Congressman Chip Roy blasted the proposal on X, saying, quote, my opposition to the clean CR just announced by the Speaker to House GOP cannot be overstated. Funding Pelosi-level spending and policies for 75 days for future promises. Ohio's Warren Davidson and Georgia's Marjorie Taylor Greene are also publicly opposed. And I imagine there will be several other hardliners who are not prepared to vote for this bill either. Remember, Unless Democrats cross party lines to vote for this laddered CR, Johnson will only be able to lose four Republican votes. Johnson said the fallback option is a full year CR, with defense spending getting a slight boost and all non-defense discretionary spending taking a cut, perhaps by as much as 8%. An 8% cut to non-defense discretionary spending sounds a lot more attractive to a lot of House conservatives. I wouldn't be surprised if some of them came to the conclusion that that's a better package to support than the laddered CR. Unfortunately, that fallback option might make it through the House, but it would definitely be dead on arrival in the Senate. The House Republican leadership plans to bring the laddered CR bill to the floor on Tuesday. We'll see if that actually happens. Meanwhile, the Senate isn't waiting around. As he did about six weeks ago, anticipating action by then-Speaker McCarthy, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer has begun the process of moving a bill through the Senate by filing for cloture on a bill that's already passed the House. That way, if need be, he can have a head start on cloture. If the House succeeds in passing a bill in a timely fashion, he can dump his replacement bill. If the House fails to pass a bill in a timely fashion, 
he's already gotten started and he can drop in the legislative text later as an amendment. Stay tuned. It's going to be a bumpy week. Now to the Biden crime family saga. On Tuesday of last week, special counsel David Weiss, the U.S. attorney for Delaware, who's been running the Hunter Biden investigation for the last five years, met with the House Judiciary Committee to record a transcribed interview. Weiss said he was never blocked from bringing charges against Hunter Biden at any point in his investigation. But House Judiciary Committee Chairman Jim Jordan said Weiss revealed during his interview that he sought, quote, special attorney status in the spring of 2022 and was denied by DOJ. Quote, that's the key takeaway, said Jordan after the interview. He requested it was not given that request and never had that authority throughout the time. And yet he pretends that somehow he did have that, end quote. The following day, House Oversight Committee Chairman James Comer subpoenaed Hunter Biden and James Biden, the president's son and brother, in addition to Biden family business associate Rob Walker. He also requested transcribed interviews from other Biden family members, including James Biden's wife, Sarah, Hallie Biden, the widow of President Biden's son, Beau, her older sister, Elizabeth Secundi, and Melissa Cohen, Hunter Biden's current wife. The committee has already received bank records revealing that the Biden family collected more than $24 million from foreign sources. Now, finally, to 2024. On Sunday evening, that is last night, South Carolina Republican Senator Tim Scott announced he was withdrawing from the contest for the 2024 Republican presidential nomination. Appearing on former Congressman Trey Gowdy's Fox News show, Scott said, quote, I think the voters who are the most remarkable people on the planet have been really clear that they're telling me not now, Tim. I don't think they're saying, Trey, no, but I do think they're saying not now. And this morning, Politico published the results of a 15,000-person national survey. Tracking with other recent state-by-state polling, the Politico survey shows that if the election were held today, former President Trump would defeat President Biden in the Electoral College by a vote of 292 to 246, despite the fact that Biden would win the popular vote by 49 to 48 percent. Says the poll memo, quote, Despite Trump's lead, the race in the battleground states is extremely close, with four states forecast to be won by less than 2% of the vote, and Nevada and Michigan projected to be won by Biden. Further, quote, the poll shows Trump on course to win back four key swing states that Biden won in 2020, Arizona, Georgia, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin. All of these states were won by Trump in the 2016 elections before flipping to Biden in the 2020 election, preventing Trump from the same path to the White House. These states are vital for Trump's reelection. And here's a gut punch if you're a loyal Democrat voter and you're bewildered at what's happening at the top of your party and you're convinced that things would be so much better if only Biden would acknowledge he's too old to run again, and he'd step down in favor of a younger, more vibrant Democrat to carry the torch. Quote, amid calls from senior Democrats for Biden to step down as prospective nominee, the poll reveals Trump would also beat potential candidates, VP Kamala Harris and Governor Gavin Newsom, end quote. In fact, continues the poll memo, quote, President Trump would beat both of Biden's possible replacements by an even greater margin, end quote.
And that's the end of our Washington Report for this week.